Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. LFC Day Trippers, brought to you by bookmakers.com. Good evening and welcome to the LFC Day Trippers. It is Thursday night and for the first time in a long time, we've got a viewer's voice. So it's uh, looking like a bunch of like new signings in here for the January transfer window. Some faces we haven't seen in a while. Ron, how are you tonight? Good, good. Glad to be back. Looking forward to getting into the chat with you guys. Nice to see everyone again. Yeah, it's uh, be nice to get some different opinions, uh, you know, on the show. Gets This is what the show's here for. Bring the viewers' uh, opinions out and get them broadcast jonathan how are you how was your christmas new year's i'm good yeah good christmas uh first proper christmas with santi so it was all go here um nice distraction from the reds so yeah good to be back we can all use a little distraction from liverpool some of these performances we've been putting in and uh kev a little bit of experience in the midfield here to carry us through <laughs> how's everybody all good um oh, oh man it's it's like that isn't it it's just like how are they gonna get this to function it's up to the boss he's got to sort it out and there's no better way to start it off by getting three points at the weekend oh it'd be easy machine tonight there's no such there is no easy games so it's gonna be fun that's all it is yeah. we're on we're along for the ride it's gonna be fun yeah, up and down. I mean, it's it's hurting for Liverpool's performance at the moment. But, I mean, the Premier League has actually been pretty damn exciting this year. Like, nobody's just running away with it. You're getting upsets all over the place. Everton are garbage. So, you know, if nothing else, it's, it's good to watch the other <laughs> It's good to watch the other 19 teams play when they're not beating us. So, but, you know, it's been a while since I've been on here. And I've been listening to the shows that uh, Gav and the fellows have been putting out for a little while. And I've just been building opinions up. So, I see Gav is titled tonight's episode, The Midfield Mistake, and that's the first thing I uh, I want to talk with you guys about is I'm starting to think, having listened to, you know, people discussing, you know, our current situation with the midfield and how we got into this situation, I'm starting to feel like Liverpool made a massive mistake in their transfer policy with the signing of Thiago. To me, it's really starting to feel like 
our expectations as fans of what we wanted in the midfield is it couldn't just be Milner, Henderson, Genie Wijnaldum. You know, Fabinho's good to have in there, but we, we got to have more creativity coming from the midfield. And we go outside the box, we buy an older player, you know, proven, that's done it already, doesn't fit into the mold of our midfield three at the time. And since then, we've gone on, we've only kind of augmented the midfield with more of those players. And it seems like everybody now is going, we need those grafters, you know, we need yard dogs, you know, we need guys that are willing to do the donkey work in the midfield sort of thing. And when we had that, people were crying out that we needed more creativity from our midfield. And I'm not seeing a lot of people putting their hands up and saying like, boy, you know, uh, when I called for that, I, I guess I was wrong. What we actually need is engines and legs and guys that are willing to do the ugly work in the midfield. And like, Ron, I'll come to you first on this. Like, am I being completely crazy? Because to be fair, Tiago is one of the players on the team that makes me gasp audibly. You know, that's, there's not a lot of things in football that a player does that makes you just stop and go like, wow. And Tiago is a guy that provides that to the team. But do we need to go back to how we thought about our midfield before Tiago and let our creative players be creative and let the midfield do everything else? Um, I think you're right about how that's that's played out in terms of where the majority of the opinion has went and flip flop from one from one place to the other. Laying it on Tiago specifically, though, I, I, I think that's a little bit harsh. Um, you know, from the from from a from a result standpoint, you know, especially for the last, especially since since the World Cup, without Tiago, we haven't really had a midfield that did much of anything. Um, so you know, Fabinho's been going through bouts of bad form. Um, Henderson's had some injury bugs and then come back, had a good performance, had a bad performance, good performance. So nothing really consistent. Um, but Tiago's been the one constant in the midfield, or at least we're getting something out of out of that player um, that we can hang our hats on. Um, in terms of a strategy, I think the big problem here is not necessarily that we bought Tiago, it's that we weren't honest and ruthless enough about what was going on in the other two positions. Going into previous windows, um, there's been a lot of rumblings about needing to have a, a Fabinho um, sort of backup to help with his, to help manage his minutes. Uh, Henderson, everyone loves, had been playing well for quite some time, but we all knew his legs were going to, were, were racking up a lot of minutes was going to need another set of legs to do to help him out there. Uh, and what we've put in place um, was a 19 year old Harvey Elliott, who everyone, myself included, thinks is doing a great job for what he, for what he's been putting on the table, but it's not the same type of performance that we need. Um, and it's not his fault. He's doing the best he can do where he's being put. It's just does where he's being placed and where he's being used. Does it really work for the, how the team plays? Fair question. Not so sure it does. Um, you've got Navicato. I won't even say hasn't stepped at the plate. He can't. He's just not on the field enough. Um, same story with Ox. As much as I love him, I think the interesting thing to me that's happened recently is you would have both Ox and Harvey Elliott be available. Harvey Elliott being re arguably recognized as a more forward player playing in the midfield with Ox then playing in front of Harvey. You know, apparently I'm not, I'm not saying Klopp doesn't know what he's doing, not even arguing that if, at all. Just I don't understand the wisdom of it, and that's because I have a small football brain. So, <laughs> you know, we, that, it is what it is, but I think that's what that, that, those are the things that kind of stand out to me. Yeah, I mean, we've all definitely got small football brains. That's how you end up doing this sort of gig. <laughs> Certainly not by being a big brain. Uh, now, to clarify before I come to you, Jonathan, is I'm not saying the problem with our midfield is that it has Tiago in it because it can't be denied that he's been our probably best form midfielder this entire season. I'm saying is the, the idea of instead of having three grafters there, we decided, and especially as fans, and I think that's something that uh, I, we're going to come back around to towards the end of the show, but like the fans, we got it in our minds that what we needed to get to the next level was more creativity from the midfield, but we didn't think about what we were sacrificing from that. So yeah. I, I, 
I don't know if I'm talking complete bollocks. I'm getting absolutely slammed in the comments, so I possibly might be. No, look, I don't think Thiago's not the issue. Uh, the issue is balance in the midfield. Um, we don't have the runners. So Thiago would be fine in a fully functioning midfield with two athletes either side of him. So the problem for Thiago at the minute is he's been forced to do a lot of running, which he's pro- that's not his game. He's probably not designed to do. The issue is the other side, where Henderson has totally fallen off a cliff physically. And Fabinho, Fabinho, like, I don't think anyone could see the fall off Fabinho coming. Maybe he looked a little bit tired at the end of last season, but he's totally fell off a cliff as well and looks physically done at the minute. So the issue, I, I guess, isn't Thiago. It's the fact that the other parts of the midfield are not functioning. And then he starts to look a little bit exposed because he wasn't bought to be um, a defensive type midfielder and to be tracking runners. He was bought to dictate the play and control the game. Where now he's been forced right, to run to the press. That's where I'm saying is the mistake there. Like, is that the planning of the team? Yeah, because the mistake I, is not the signing of Thiago. It's the failure to rectify. It's the failure to rectify the other parts of midfield. Like for argument's sake, we have we have Elliot and Thiago on the one team. Like that just cannot and does not work. Like so, the balance is totally off there. You've got two similar type players on either side of midfield who lack physicality, lack athleticism, and lack real real defensive nous. So the balance is totally off. Thiago would be fine if you put in, um, say, Casado beside him, and I don't know, a Bellingham. That was your three in the starting midfield next year. I'd have no, we'd have no issues there. But in saying that, I'm starting to think that midfield signs alone is not going to rectify the issues at the club. But look, that's not the that's for another night. At the minute, we're talking about midfield tonight. The key there is balance. We we really lack balance in midfield, and players who I suppose Klopp had faith in have just physically declined. And look, that's. Henderson and Fabinho owe this club nothing. They've been great players for four or five years for the club and they've won it all. But unfortunately, sometimes your, your time is up at the club. And like We really, really need to get in more athletic, more dynamic and more pacey midfielders. And I think then Thiago would then look a lot better. But in saying that now, Thiago's pushing on as well, so... I don't know. Every time I look at the game, and thinking, do we need four midfielders? Do we need three? Uh, it's, we're just going around in circles, but uh, <laughs> I let Kev have he spoke. <coughs> I just think it's balance, and Thiago's getting exposed because the midfield balance is, is off kilter. You guys yeah, are all, all <laughs> you guys are all all right, mm. but at the same time, you're all all wrong because <laughs> in 2022, this that squad won more games of football than any other club in Europe. That's just a fact. That includes the bad run that we were on up until the 31st of December. The problem is not just the midfield, it's combination. You go back to when we signed Thiago, we didn't commit to a full change. We just decided he's come in from Bayern. He's had Joshua Kimmich on one side of him. He's had Goretzka next to him. And it was pretty much coming into the same thing. You had two dogs of war in the middle of the park at Bayern and Thiago. He was coming into exactly the same thing and look what he went on to achieve in the, in the time that he's been at the club. He wins the ball back more than anyone else. He runs his arse off. He's technically a beautiful footballer and I make the same kind of sounds as Ron sometimes when he's like, oh, ooh, that, yeah, those, those kind of noises that are, you know, different times of the day and night when you should be doing something else. But it's not just the midfield that's the problem. The forwards have changed. The press always came from the front and it was supplemented by a midfield. The forwards and the pressing style changed with the forwards that when we when we changed the forwards. And from there back, it hasn't been right. Now, you can talk about Naby, Ox, guaranteed. Shouldn't have been at the club probably two years ago. They should have, they should have both been sold. Um. I definitely 100% believe that Ox would have been sold in the summer if it wasn't for his injury. And it's just unfortunate that you're in a, in a catch-22 situation with players A, who are into the last year of their contract, and when one of them gets a three-month-long injury, 
the other can turn around and say, well, I'm not going to get any better money anywhere else. I'll see out my contract and take my bonus, my signing bonus when I leave. Thank you very much. Register me. Don't register me. That's your problem. I don't care. Because that's what's, ha- what's happened with one of them. And Ox will try, and he has tried ever since he's come back from his injury. When he's available, he'll get on the pitch. He'll do a job. He's had a couple of decent games. And it's not from a want of effort. It's just his body won't let him do what he, he his head wants to do. And that's the, the other problem with the drop-off that we've seen in performances from the midfield, from the likes of Henderson and Fabinho. Their head knows what they want to do. It's muscle memory. You know, it's like they've been coached this way for the last five years. They know how to press. They know how to counter press. And the mind knows where the, where they should be. The body's half a second behind or a second behind. And they miss out on the press just. They've just been played through. That's why we're, we're getting so many chances. We have the second highest amount of chances created in the league. But we're conceding one of the highest. It's... There's, it's never as bad as what you think, and it's never as good as you think it is either. Yes, sides are getting better chances against us. The back four is looking more exposed because sides are able to get through that press. The fixing it is, I don't know, because we'll get onto that in a minute. How do you go about fixing it? But for right now, that's how I see this problem. I don't see this problem as being solely a midfield issue. I see it as a combination of forwards learning, coming into the club new, learning how we play, and a midfield that's aging and can't do what they used to do. And you're stuck in with, with the fact, the real life world of football with players who are running under contracts. Uh, they're perfectly entitled to do. They, you know, it's a club's responsibility to move them on when they didn't. Players, Naby Case is never going to get a contract elsewhere that he's got now no nowhere in a million years nor is ox they're never going to get to a club that's better than where they are now so why on earth would they leave you know they'll maximize their in- income at the end of the season like they're perfectly entitled to do and then the rebuild the third part of the rebuild kicks in in the summer because the forward line has been refreshed if bobby extends his new contract i think he'll be the oldest player the oldest forward at the club at 31 which don't mind uh, the back line has been pretty much covered. It's going to need to be looked at in a couple of years' time. But for this upcoming summer, the back line is fine. I'm, I'm okay with it. It's the midfield that needs to have that phase two rebuild for Klopp to be able to take that squad on for the next three years and see what he can do. Yeah, there's there's plenty of work to do. And, I mean, uh, lots of names being thrown around. You know, listen to the NTK show the other night, going through a lot of uh, a lot of new names that have just come up in the last couple of days. Seems everybody that uh, can even tenuously be called a midfielder is being linked with Liverpool at the moment. Uh, so it got to me to thinking, Keith said something last night when they were talking about, I don't know if it was Kevin Turam or Kone they were talking about, mentioning how he had just moved from Toulouse. So that would be Kone then, I believe, that's at Gladbach now. And he said, if we'd assigned a young kid from Toulouse, people would have lost their shit. And I thought, that's exactly correct. Uh, he was too young then. He, he hadn't done enough to show that he can get to the level that we need to get to. And then you talk about somebody like, you know, a Rodrigo DePaul or a Yuri Tielemans, you're like, ah, they're old and they're sp-. like. Is there a correct age for us to be buying a midfielder in? Because it seems like, unless you're throwing out an Anzo Fernandez or a Jude Bellingham or one of the nailed-on obvious people, there always seems to be either like, well, we don't know if they're, they're, you know, haven't really proven it yet. Are they worth that amount of money? And then you get people going, why didn't we sign too many, you know, before he went to Monaco? Or why didn't we sign Enzo Fernandez from River Plate instead of letting him go to Benfica first? Ron, do you know the answer to it? They're like, there's got to be at least one number that everybody can say, like 22 and four months and 17 days. That's the perfect age to buy a midfielder at. Yeah, I don't have an answer to that because I don't buy into the premise of somebody being too young to buy. Um, I think if, if it does, like, the age is irrelevant. If they're good enough, they're good enough. Um, and it, it really just boils down to that for me. I mean, you look at, for example, like the, the Kone from Toulouse. If you're telling me that he's not good enough to come in and do what, do what Bacitis or Doek does, then fine, he's not good enough. But if he's good enough yeah, to do what they can do... That doesn't solve our problems. 
it does, that's, it does that's well right but that you you can't you never win a war fighting yesterday's battle right so saying that saying that we're gonna we're gonna rejig and try to solve our problems in this immediately you know you never know if this if a signing is going to do that but you do know that it can be part of what your ongoing future plan is and that's where you want to really focus as opposed to saying all our hopes pin on signing this young guy this new midfielder who's going to come in and solve all the problems he may or may not that's being reactionary you want to be proactive in, in the sense of know where you're going know what your plan is and and keep your focus on that as opposed to saying and eh, we'll go out we can just go out here and spot fix this problem sometimes it's obvious that you can do that with a particular player i.e a la virgil van dyke but in most cases it isn't those are rare scenarios so and they're they're also expensive opportunities like yeah kevin ball says yeah. 21 to 25 is the range we should be looking at well you know the hottest 21 year old midfielder right now has a price of 130 million pounds to get him from his current team you know, like guys like Nicola Barella, they're only gettable for insane amounts of money. And that's even if the player wants to come. So like, like Jonathan, it seems like we're damned if we do and we're damned if we don't. You know, you either let a kid go and now he's worth too much money because he's had a breakout season. Or we buy Fabio Carvalho and Harvey Elliott and people bemoan the fact that they're not quite good enough yet. Like, and then we know we don't have unlimited money. We're not going to go spend bully cash or, you know, splurge like we're owned by the Emirates we have to have something of a transfer budget. We can't just be only going and looking at buying hundred million pound midfielders in that perfect age range. Like that's not a crazy thought, right? Yeah. Look, I don't think there is an ideal age really because it's, it's all uh, each case is like a 19 year old Jude Bellingham is a different animal to a 19 year old Harvey Elliott. And um, like the sweet spot for us, our signs was generally the 24, 25, age bracket that's when we kind of got Manny and Salah and Firmino and Genie. we kind of hit that sweet spot they had enough of um experience behind them and a good um plenty of games played so we kind of got a good view of them but they were just ready to break out so we got them before they became the superstars we definitely do need to lower the average age of that midfield um I think Kevin Ball was right. That kind of, I wouldn't go as young as 21, but I'm kind of looking at that 23 to 25 bracket of player. Well, as I said at the start, like each case is different. Like Jude Bellingham is 19. I'm not turning down Jude Bellingham because he's too young. It's no, there's certain, there's certain players that doesn't matter their age. Like Kylian yeah, Mbappe yeah. at 18 was, it was a, it was a dead cert. Like Erling Holland was an obvious, you know, superstar at that age. Certain players just are. I just, we definitely, as I said, a key factor for our midfield is uh, it's lacking his pace and, and athleticism. Sport. So you're not going to get that by signing 30-year-olds. So we probably need to hit that sweet spot of the middle around 24-25. Saying that Casado is young as well. Look, there is no exact science for signing players around age. You could sign a 30-year-old and he could have three or four great seasons. You could sign a 21-year-old superstar. You think he's going to be the next big thing. In two years' time, he's fallen off a cliff. Every transfer has risks. You know, what we've been very lucky at, I suppose not even look, what we've been great at is a great success rate in transfers. Like you could really only say Keita, you could possibly argue Ox, Ox injuries was a big factor, or poor signings. So we've had a great strike rate with signings. Who what we got to go do next? i I would really like to see um that midfield average age brought to around 24, 25, that sweet spot. I have no issues with the likes of signing your Elliots and Carvalho's, but they need to be supplemented with signing players who are only 20 or first team. We signed Elliot and Carvalho, young players who weren't ready for the first team and we were banking on them being first team players. It's okay to sign these type of young players, but you also have to sign players who are ready to enter the first team. And let Elliot and Carvalho grow in time. And if they, maybe if they want to grow out in loan, let them grow out in loan. But now we're looking at a case now where Elliot started it, or not started, but played a part in every game this season at 19 years of age, like in a struggling team. And it's not good enough. So look. <laughs> I've got a great wife. Special delivery. <laughs> yeah, that's a special delivery. All right. Uh, no dry January, no? 
no. Fair no. play, fair play. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we definitely, our, our midfield is aging, so we need to start signing younger players and we need to start signing players who have not mile, loads of miles in their legs so that we can get back to that old clock game of gig and Preston and pinning teams into their own half, that high-energy football. So we are looking for that type of player. Like Paulina at Fulham has looked good, but are we really going to pay 40, 50 million for a 27, 28-year-old midfielder? I don't think so. See, that was that was kind of the name. I've forgotten about it. And somebody in the chat mentioned Paulina. I, it was another show I was listening to, and his name came up. Somebody was like, ah, it's too old. And it's like, too old? Like, he's 27. That's not too old. Like, yeah, you might spend 30, 40 million on a player that's 27, but if you get three or four good years out of them and you're not, you know, wedded to this player's going to play for us for 10 years and, you know, rack up three, 400 appearances, like, if you just cycle through players, and I mean, I guess, Kev, it's, it's a symptom of the loyalty that, I mean, it might be Jurgen Klopp's worst trait as a manager is his over-loyalty to players because, you know, other, like, people talk about cutting loose, you know, Naby and Ox and Adrian and stuff like that, and you hear the counter-argument of, like, that's not how Jurgen Klopp manages his team, and that's 100% right. Like, he has yeah. proven time and time again that if you're willing to stand up for him, he will stand by you. And if that means giving you a contract when maybe in retrospect you shouldn't have, but like, would it be so crazy for us to go out this month? Because I firmly am in the camp that we desperately need to get a midfield body through the door, you know, and somebody that's serviceable. I mean, the unfortunate thing, like Arthur Mello doesn't get hurt and we might not be having quite the same conversation. You know, you never know. You can get in a player that's not a panicky Arthur Mello loan on the last day of the season, and they could still get hurt, and we don't know. But, like, because like, I I thought Joe Polini has had a great season so far, and a player like that looks like they do a great job for 18 months in our midfield and allows to bridge the gap until the next younger kids are ready to come through. For me, the thing is what you got to look at is what how do you want to play? What type of midfielder do you want, first and foremost? Settle on that. Decide that argument first and then start looking at names because some of the names that I'm seeing links are that I'm seeing people want us to sign. We don't play with two sixes. So why are you looking to sign two, three, four, six, number sixes? We just don't play that way. You well, need... This is too good of a segue, Kev. I'm going to roll this right into the third one about us changing our expectations. But... One of the things in that is, <laughs> is it possible that – so Klopp, you know, has his seven-year cycles – and yeah. he doesn't. He didn't. He didn't play the same way at Dortmund that he played here. He played more of a four-two-three-one no. at Dortmund. Is it possible that this first seven years of Klopp is now done and in the books? And because the players we're signing, like we don't have a replacement for Bobby Firmino, we don't have a replacement for Jordan Henderson. It seems like we're trying to shoehorn future potential signings into our seventeen, eighteen, nineteen midfield you know, into that mm -hmm. bracket. Maybe Tiago in there as well too, but we're so rigid in thinking about that. And when you look at the players that we have, it's like, where does Fabio Carvalho fit into this team? I don't know. Where does Harvey Elliott fit into this team? I don't know. Where does Darwin Nunes and Cody Gakpo and Luis Diaz, how do we fit all these players into the team? Like, is it possible that going forward, like as part of this rebuild that you mentioned last time around, is it possible that we're not going to be playing 4-3-3 in the future? Well, the thing is, he's changed this way we, that we play. He's pretty much tweaked it every year. We might It might be 4-3-3, but it, it plays different. You watch us when he first took over, even on his second season, to watch the title winning season, to watch this season. It's all changed. I mean, it might be 4-3-3 on paper. It's not. We don't, they might line up on BT or Sky or wherever you watch it as 4-3-3, but on paper, it's, it's really not. It's you'll have one city midfielder, two centre backs who split, and everyone else goes forward. We'll attack with five or six players. Then you'll have usually say if you attack with five, you'll have three in midfield who are encircling that forward press just to pen people in. But if you want to go, I just go back a sec. The sweet spot for me isn't an age. It wasn't an age with when with the best signings that we signed. It was experience. They all had about 150 to 200 senior games at various clubs at various levels, uh, but all in top five leagues. Uh, some in Europe, some not in Europe, but in general, they might have been aged 21 to 24, 
or 21 to 25, but they'd had the grounding. They'd had their bedding in seasons and they were at the sweet spot of being a B plus player, being ready to jump, to make that next jump. But they all fitted the engine. They all fitted the system perfectly. And everything worked in unison. This squad at the minute, I think it was Jonathan mentioned earlier, balance. When we've been really good is when we've been really balanced. Uh, even this season, when we've been on it and we've been fluid and sharp is when we're balanced. It's not balanced now, but you look at the injuries and who's out there, it's no surprise. But if you're looking for someone to come in now, you have to be looking at someone who knows their game inside out, who knows exactly what they can do and who's comfortable coming in doing it. And a 25, 26, 27-year-old is that one for now. But if you're looking long term, I'd rather I'd like I like the blend. I think Chris was in the chat earlier on and he mentioned about the blend where you'll have a, two or three maybe players who are 30 plus balls of experience, leadership, you know, backs to the wall. You know, you can trust them. The other end of the scale, you've got Carvalho, Elliot Jones, learning the trade, coming into the side and in the middle so you that's three that's six you need three or four players in the middle who can come in change a game who can play games that you can trust but they're learning they're kicking on they're going to improve so if you get one now this in this window fine but long term you have to be looking at the experience that you're bringing in and that ability to grow with the next three, four years of the club, because you can't keep revisiting this all the time. You know, I think this one fix is going to have to have to be done in the summer. It has to be a long-term fix. You know, you have to be bringing in the players who are going to be together and grow together for the foreseeable, you know, for the next three, four, three, four, five years. And yeah. that's not going to be easy, but to do that, you have to commit to a style of play. You commit to how you want to play, then you bring in the players to match it. And if square pegs don't go into round holes, you chop and change them out until you got what you, until you got what you need. And I think that's basically what we've done, what we're doing at the minute. It's we've gambled this season. The gamble hasn't paid off. We've gambled before and it's worked fine. We've got to where we needed to go by the end of the season. We still might this season. But at the minute, someone has to go before someone can come in. And even then, I don't see a silver bullet who's good enough to come in and take this squad, this team, to where it needs to go. Because if they're that good, who the hell's losing them? Who the hell's letting them leave? Exactly. You know, it, Isn't that the strangest thing? Um, you'd always say uh, players, players <laughs> take tactics. So, like, yeah, 100%. This year, we're, the tactics we're playing don't suit the players. So I just can't understand. Klopp won't roll back. He's continuing playing the same tactics with players that doesn't suit. He really needs to start finding a, a different style of play, a different tactic to get us to the end of the season. Cannot continue the way we're playing because we just don't have the players to play that way. I'm amazed. Like if, if I don't see something different on Saturday, I'll just be really disappointed. And but he did try to chop and change it, didn't he? For I think it was October, November. Yeah, he, he tried to... He four, tried a four, diamond. Two. Yeah, yeah. He tried four four two. He tried a diamond. He played four five one for a while, and it it changes in game as well. But in general, he he did try it and chop and change it to see if he could get something else to work. It hasn't. But I agree with you. He's going to have to sacrifice. I think they'll have to sacrifice creating as many chances as we do, definitely, in order definitely. to go back to win, try to win games with clean sheets. Oh, like uh, Tiago is a little surplus in the midfield. Going back to what we talked about. No, I think he's no. I just think that someone like him is actually really good for playing that four-two-three-one. Basically, instead of defending in a high block with five players committing to a press on, say, a Brighton at the weekend on their back line, because Brighton will play out from the back, they won't change. Yeah. But instead of trying to commit five or six players to doing that, you just say to Brighton, have the ball there. 
Yeah, there's you no can't way score. To you can't score from there. But drop back Challenge. to the mid. Drop back to the center circle. They don't have to drop all the way back, but drop back a third, and then turn around and say, "Okay, well, you come. You can come to here, but then you've got to come and break us down." And it's we've done it before against sides who are really good at high possession football. We've done it against Man City a fair few times, where we've had to hold on to our arses for a good bit of it. But I think we just have to adapt to the circumstances of where we are. And where we are at the minute is look at who's fit, look at who's available, what they can do, but more importantly, what they can't do, and adapt it. it it's not beyond the realms of men, because all of these players go away and play differently for their international clubs or for their international sites. It's not like they all go to Argentina or Brazil or wh- wherever they go and play exactly the same as what they play now. They, they adapt. Good players, top players, adapt to how the coach, the manager wants them to play. Klopp has to adapt to what he's able to do now, you know. And as much as it might break his nuts to do it, the objective of this season now is to get to a cup final. If we can win it, great. Top four. That's the objective. Everyone is really bunched up. All it takes is two or three wins, and the table change. We saw in the lead up to the World Cup, the table changes really fast in this league at the minute. Two, three wins, and it all looks different. Everything's rosy in the garden again. You win three games on the bounce, and we're all bouncing into work on Monday morning. But right now, it's hurting because of the... Believe me, I know because I've done the post-matches. The performances and the the way we figured out how to, wait, how to give up gifts, it has to stop. And it has to come from Klopp down. He has to cut us out. Yeah, I mean, without question, it's, it's it's just getting to the point, like, for me, of, like, I consume a lot of Liverpool content, you know, everything on the channel and a bunch of other channels as well, too. And, like, it just gets to smack your head against the wall situation. And, yeah. you know, I'm I'm starting to fall into the Shawnee Lawson camp, and uh, Avo there is kind of saying the same thing, that the season was right off. You know, Avo says, I have a theory that Klopp has written off the season before it started. It's going to go back to the rebuild he done in his first season, next season not in Europe, and a full assault on the league, then Europe after that. I mean, maybe, I mean, I'd like to think we could do the rebuild while also still playing Champions League football, that we don't need to get eighth or ninth or something like that to do a full rebuild. But, like, Ron, it's the, the reason I'm coming with these absolutely crazy topics for the show tonight is just out of, like, exasperation, because it doesn't seem to make any sense. Like, Gav ran a quick straw poll there of whether people think we're going to get a midfielder in in this window, and it really looked like the nose had it pretty comfortably. And that doesn't make any sense. Like, it's obviously glaringly obvious to everybody, right, that we need a midfielder. And so for one not to come in, like, there just has to be something that we're missing. So that's why I'm throwing anything at the wall to see if something will fucking stick and make a little bit of sense with somebody else other than just inside my own brain. But like, do we need to come to grips with the fact that unless we get a sugar daddy owner in that we just can't compete to win titles anymore? Like, is that, is that the future now for Liverpool? Like I hear Gav talk about like all FSG need to do is put an extra hundred million in every year. All they need to do is give an extra hundred million dollars a year with no, you know, foreseeable guaranteed return on that investment. That doesn't seem like a shrewd business decision for FSG. Like, no, has, has, uh, has the changing landscape of like the football transfer economy has it just left our owners and our club behind, and we just have to deal with that unless we get a juicy buy. Um, I, yeah, I think we just have to deal with it. I mean, I think that landscape, the only thing that's really changed the landscape is that there are more there are more sugar daddies uh, involved in the Premier League than there was a season ago. But in terms of FFP being another, an, an absolute farce, I mean, it was that when we won the league, it was that the year when we won the Champions League. So it's been a farce for a while. Um, so we've proven that we can live in this farcical environment and actually uh, – bring a trophy home. Uh, but going forward, you know, it's not as it's the idea that we're not spending money. Um, 
I think there's a couple of there's a couple of things that I can't wrap my head around. Uh, one being, if money's the issue, then okay, then just don't buy anybody. Load the coffers and then go big when you can. But if it's the idea that we can't, we don't have the right player to spend the money on, then the whole Arthur Mello situation kind of throw blows that argument up. So I can't. For me, I just can't wrap my head around which one which which uh, model we're, we're, we're ascribed to because, you know, for at least two or three windows, there have been people clamoring about, you know, we need somebody in the field. We need, we need some spending to happen there. Um, for, we've been spending on the forward line. We've made some, some, some necessary, albeit minor additions to the back line, all well and good. But um, we just... Mello was, you know, the midfield pickup. Uh, don't know what part of the strategy that really fits. Um, you know, we've got some sellable assets that we could use to, to generate funds. So, you know, we can still work within that model. It's just, you know, what are we going to, what are, what, what's the actual truth that we're operating under? Obviously they, they know we don't, but um, it does, it does leave you a bit, at least for me, it leaves me a bit, you know, out to sea as far as what the hell's going on. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty mind-boggling. Uh, boggling. Uh, you know, Jonathan, I know uh, when we first had you on the shows, you were, you know, pretty negative and skeptical about it. Uh, has your outlook changed at all in terms of where you see the club going? No, I am, um, like, without significant investment, we're not winning another major trophy under top. And that's the bottom line and people can say x y and z this team needs significant investment and i'm talking 200 million type of investment and that can't just stop next summer it'll need investment again the following summer without that type of investment you can forget about winning champions leagues or premier leagues again because newcastle are coming man united have got the house in order arsenal look like they're on the way back like we used to be the smartest men in the room. We're no longer the smartest men in the room. The whole club, like, like one thing I can about the club is instability. You never ever win anything with the instability around the club. So we don't know who the owners are going to be in the summer. We've lost Michael Edwards. Julian Ward is gone. Ian Graham is gone. It looks like there's been a power grab with around transfers within the club. Not going to name the man's name because he's been talked to death about it. But it definitely Jay looks like Bolsonaro? sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like J- Julian Ward didn't leave for no reason. Um, there's definitely been a power grab behind the scenes. There's too much instability at the club. We're, as I said to you, we're no longer the smartest man in the room. We're far from the smartest man in the room. Without significant investment, without stability, I mean. FSG, they either say they're staying or they're not, or they sell up. And without sorting out sporting director and our analytical team and our medical team, we are not going to win anything. As, as I alluded to earlier, midfield is a big problem. Don't get me wrong. But there is a, a lot of other problems at the club at the minute. And midfield is only one of four or five huge problems. No club ever wins anything with instability. They don't know what's going on around. So... Unless FSG decide to sell up and sell up quickly and we get significant investment and we sort out our analytics team, our director of football, our medical team, we are not winning anything. That might sound really negative, but to me, that's a cold, hard fact. Well, it can't be a fact. It's only my opinion, but it's... Um, it's a fact that it is your opinion. That, that is yeah, yeah. That's the only fact there, yeah. But I... To be honest, I'm really worried about the way the club is going at the minute. Yeah, it, it certainly seems like they're taking a pretty big gamble going forward. Uh, and speaking of that, tonight's show is brought to you by Bookmakers.com. They're uh, supporting us throughout the rest of the season. Gav is uh, a weekly guest on their YouTube channel now. So head on over to Bookmakers.com. Find yourself the best uh, odds. If you're going to put a bet down, you may as well get the best odds for it. If you don't gamble like myself, then... You can go on there. I definitely used it for my fantasy choosing coming in for this weekend, and so far got zero points. So, but that's that's my fault, not Bookmakers.com's fault. Uh, I mean, 
I don't really know where to go from there, Kev. Like it just, it feels like you just start going around and around and around in circles yeah. with it. And I, I've got a few minutes left and I could use that all up talking about three at the back, but, uh, no point. Should we? Yeah. I actually agree. I, mean, we, we I actually agree, Max. I played three at the back at the weekend. I, I, <laughs> How many I do you just, want to concede? Five or six? It started out as a joke. It started out as a joke for me, but honestly, if we're losing the midfield battle because our three guys can't get around enough, why not try having four players in that midfield? Why yeah. not try putting an extra center half in and pushing Robertson and Trent ten yards further forward and making those two in there with Thiago and for either which way? It's uh, it's certainly interesting. Definitely going to go through all of that tomorrow night. But a quick one on that. If your problem is up front and pressing and not winning the ball back high up the pitch, the last thing you do is put play back five or play back three, especially against a side who are very comfortable on the ball. Yeah, I wouldn't they'll, press they'll, push, they'll push you. They'll push you back. But I you play you play with a diamond in midfield and you condense the play. You make Brighton play wide, and you just make yourself solid in the middle of the park. You can't score from the wings. You can create from the wings, but they don't have height up, up front. They look for tricky, intricate playing around the box. So you play diamond in midfield, or you play four-two-three-one, and you drop off, and you play on the break. You play to your strengths. We got quick forwards. We got good intricate passers who can pick players out. That's how I go about it. But there's a quick fix available in this summer, in this window. But someone has to leave, and it'll probably be a loan. It'll more than likely be someone like a Frank Kessie at Barcelona, someone like that, someone who could come in. A bit of a destroyer in the in the middle of the park, strong, quick enough. But you know, there isn't really many others about that you'd uh, hang your hat on. So the idea that we sorry, I was just gonna say, in terms of leaving to like somebody having to leave to make a spot in the roster for them, would Arthur Mello be an option for that? No. I know we uh, can't, I know we can't send him back, but if we just keep him to train at Kirby. And don't register him. Like, yeah, there... that's that's a possibility. That's a possibility. Yeah. The other possibility is maybe turning around to someone like Carvalho and say, "Okay, you're going on loan to the Championship for six months." You know, there there is options. That I think it'll be it'll be something like that. I think if they do anything, if if and it's a big if, if they do anything, it'll be someone going out and loan, someone coming on loan. Um, it's. The summer investment has to happen. FFP does exist. Ask Manchester United. They just brought in Van Vekhorst. So it's like the idea that clubs don't have to live within their their means is a bit of a myth. Even Man City in the summer had to go and sell a rick to young talent to be able to do the business that they did. Yeah, they get creative with their accounting, but they still had to show on paper that they had a certain amount of money to work with it. Um, I think... You see that figure banded about about two hundred and fifty million, a lot with Liverpool fans especially. That figure, that it's actually a a figure that's been worked out. If we don't sell anyone, we can spend up to two hundred and fifty million over the next few windows to stay within FFP. It's like same with Newcastle. Newcastle, as long as they were outside of Europe, had a certain amount of money because Mike Ashley didn't spend a penny. So they had, right. they had a ceiling of their income, their gate receipts, their wages, and what have you, that they were allowed to spend on their squad. It's Once you have the accounts, it's easy enough to calculate. Ours is ballpark 250, but it's not 250 in one window. It's 250 over, I think, this window, summer, January, and, May, and then you're looking at maybe readjusting it the summer after. So it's over a period of time. The idea would be that, You'd front load it this summer, but you wouldn't sign anyone then until the following summer. But you also have to factor in that Cuevin Keller will probably be sold. You'll recoup money as it goes through the squad as well. You'll lose high earners who are going to be going like the likes of Ox and Dabby are on decent money. So you'll replace those wages with incomings. We physically do have to bring in three or four players because we're going to be losing three or four players. So we physically have to bring those players in, whether they're star names or what have you. I had a conversation with Jonathan in the week, and Jonathan asked me a straight question. Would Where do you think Joe, Jude Bellingham would go? And I said, if I was advising him, I'd march him to Real Madrid. You know, Cruz is retiring. 
or is at that age to go. Modric is at that age to go. You're going to be playing in for the biggest club in the world. You're going to be playing in the best stadium in the world when they move into their brand new stadium. And you have a midfield who's going to grow together for 10 years and you'll be one out four. You know, they'll play three and then you'll be, there'll be three out four always playing. But at the same time, if he wants to play in England, we have to be in the conversation and we can afford him. But there's going to be compromises made elsewhere to bring him in, 100%. And that's where you have to box lever. Uh, there was a super chat that came in last night from uh, someone, and he asked us to look up uh, Manuel Ugarte, uh, player, when they were looking at it last night. Manuel Ugarte on transfermarket.com is valued at around 18 million euros, 21 years of age, Uruguayan international at Porto. Uh, sorry, at Sporting Lisbon. Uh, he is a carbon copy of every midfielder that you're talking about. It's just the fact that he's in Portugal. We've no doubt scouted him to death. No doubt that Porto could, or Sporting would be open to a move for him. He's one that could be looked at in this window and maybe in the summer. Because just because you get a Jude Bellingham, there is other value players out there at between 20, 25 million. The thing is, you've got to look at it. The world record currently for a central midfielder is still Paul Pogba. Right? Nobody pays over 100 million for a central midfielder. You'll do that for a striker. You know, Virgil was a, over 100 million for a midfielder yet. Yes, but at the same time, it just goes to show the. The, the bracket for that caliber of player who can command that kind of fee, the Jude Bellingham kind of fee, there's, it's a very small sliver, it's a very small bracket of player. Below that, there's plenty of, I think Rodri, City paid 70 million euro for him. Yeah. You know, United paid 60 odd million for Casemiro. Phenomenal players. There's a bracket, um, our comfort spot at the minute has moved on to say 44 million pounds, 50 million euro. That seems to be the comfort blanket price where we're comfortable at playing. So you get someone at that price, you pay whatever you have to pay for Jude Bellingham because I think long-term Jude Bellingham is paid for himself anyway. If you get him for three, four years and he wants to move on, you'll recoup all your money. Yeah. If you keep him for 10, 15, 10, 15 years, he's at your club, he's a club captain, he's a club legend, and you'll win loads of stuff. Happy days. You'll get your money back that way. You can think of it as a 10 million a season player for the next 10, 12, 15 years. There's plenty of ways to look at this, but if you're in the conversation, you want to be the, the English club that he picks. But to be there, I don't think you need to be in Europe either. I was listening to Elliot Anuko doing the uh, co-commentary or the co-punditry the other night, and she knows him. And she's Her exact words were, from knowing him, not being in Europe will not be detrimental to Liverpool signing him. The project will be key. And I firmly believe that Erling Haaland will be a player who moves for money. His agent hocked him around every club in Europe last winter, and he ended up being pimped to Man City. Jude Bellingham strikes me as a player who wants to go to... He'll, he'll command big money anyway. But to me, I think he'll go for the best football project. And if he buys into the Jurgen Klopp project with the players that we we have to show him, say, look, this is what we have, this is where we're going, this is what we want to do, we need you to get us there. And if he buys into all of that, we're in with a shot. I mean, that's as good a positive note as to end a show on as possible. I mean, thanks, Kev. See, you just lift in spirits you up gotta there. you got to do bring, it, man. you got to yeah, do it. Yeah, we bring everybody down for 45 <laughs> minutes and we throw it to Kev at the end. So this, this is the experience that you get with that. Uh, but I mean, to hell with positivity. With age because, comes wisdom, uh, man. You're, you're you're on tomorrow, but uh, the three of us aren't. I'm going to be doing the instant match reaction on Saturday after the game. So fingers crossed. But uh, I want to get a little you. prediction here, maybe from Ron and Jonathan before we go. Ron, how you feel about the game coming up on Saturday? Uh, I'm I'm back in the Reds reaction, so I'm going two nil to the Reds. Ooh, I like that, Jonathan. Um, can't see Anton. Bar defeat. We've never lost at the Amex. 
Yeah, but we haven't lost a lot of teams lately, but we, and we are losing to them. Um, if we keep playing the same way, we're playing with the same personnel we've we'll be beaten. If Klopp changes tech like he did against Man City, does something different, plays a little bit different, we're capable of winning. Put it that way. So it depends on what we do. But I go 2-1, Brighton. Hey, you gotta you gotta appreciate a man that's willing to stand beside a Liverpool loss yeah. prediction on a Liverpool show. I <laughs> refuse. It's gonna be four two Liverpool. Uh, we are definitely not keeping a clean sheet. They are definitely not keeping a clean sheet, and we'll continue up our good form at the Amex Stadium. Uh, Kev, I'm sure you'll be talking in depth about this oh, tomorrow yes. on the Friday forecast. Yeah. Uh, what games are you guys looking at? Well, we're looking at the R one. Obviously, you got the derby in Manchester. You got the North London derby. Uh, we're going to take a look at Wolves' game as well, Wolves-West Ham, because I think I think this weekend is – you know, in the States, in American sports, you've got moving day. I think this weekend is moving weekend. Yeah. I think you're got, you saw it tonight, you saw it start tonight, and I think this weekend you're either going to see clubs pull away at the top or get dragged back into the mix. You're going to, you might see a gap opening up for the top four. You might see the top four getting dragged back in again. I think our game has got goals, and Leandro Trossard has been frozen out at Brighton. He's there's he's not happy camper. I think three two for us, but I agree with what Jonathan said. We have to change how we play. But I will go for three two. I think we can score goals. They can score some key battles around the pitch go into it in serious detail tomorrow got a brighton fan coming on tomorrow night from uh, albion obsessed really knowledgeable guy knows brighton inside out loves his club so we'll have a good in-depth chat with him tomorrow night oh that's that's fantastic yeah it'll be a good listen so yeah everybody uh, make sure to tune in tomorrow night catch kev and the gang on doing the forecast for the weekend um just one more thing before we wrap up here quick go around one word answer starting with you ron is potter gonna get the sack at chelsea after a 2-1 defeat uh no <laughs> no jonathan i don't think bali i don't think foley has the stones for that yet he won't be there next september oh, okay kev what about you i don't think he's there on february 1st Ooh. Ooh. do i see an advance on that um i, 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 th- don't. I think I we could suck it i think we could suck it really oh that'd Genuinely. Be great. It's been a we have them saturday week is this next next saturday 12 30 kickoff yeah, and uh, new boy Zhao Felix will be watching from the sidelines with the street clothes on after picking up a straight red card, which is fantastic. His, yeah. his three-game suspension is costing about 1.4 million pounds just in the loan fee because it's like 50% of his entire loan spell with Chelsea. So that's brilliant. All right. Well, before we get out of here, just remind you guys again, uh, bookmakers.com, uh, gratefully, and I mean, we're pushing them, sponsoring the show. So go on there, check them out. Uh, make sure to give them a follow so you can don't miss Gav on with the Spurs fan, United fan when he's doing his weekly show on bookmakers.com. But most importantly, you guys all probably have noticed the uh, pink ribbon in the bottom right-hand corner. And that is uh, the symbol of our new charity campaign. We're uh, raising money for uh, 11 women at the, what, Ashburn, GAA team that are all going to be running the Dublin Marathon to raise money for breast cancer awareness. So Gav has started up the GoFundMe page for it. It's uh, clipping along. It was over a thousand yesterday. So I imagine it's uh, just ticking on right through there. So, you know, this is, this is our new uh, charity drive for this year. I'm absolutely certain that the uh, people out there listening and watching every night of the day trippers community will do what they need to do, whether that's, donating the fives and tens or just throwing it into your social media and sharing it around because uh i mean breast cancer probably affects the vast majority of households if you if you cast a wide enough net i doubt that there's many families that are escaping the scourge of breast cancer specifically so uh the fact that these 11 women are all going to run a marathon together is just insane uh i've heard rumor that if we raise an extra 20 grand on top gav might also run the marathon so let's get through this 20 this first 20,000 first, and then see if maybe we get it to 40 we can get gav to uh to also run the dublin marathon but uh i think that's just about enough for uh one night ron it was good seeing you good having you back on yeah man it was fun good, good, good to be back good to be back yeah, Jonathan, same to you as well. It's uh, I'm sure you're going to be wrong this weekend. We're going to win. You're going to have a good weekend. Pleasure. I, I bring the negativity. Kevin brings the positivity. 
That's right. <laughs> Got to have balance, man. Got to have balance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Kev, you uh, you get post-match duties off, so here's the hoping you miss hey. a good one this weekend. I hope so. If I'm the Jonah, then you're going to be full-time on full-time. <laughs> yep. There we go. All right, everybody. This is the viewer's voice on the LFC Day Trippers. Thanks for tuning in. See you guys around. Podcast Network.